Hi, this is Umida Switlow. I'm in the lovely town, city of Nanaimo, British Columbia. Beautiful view of uh, the Georgia Strait and the mountains behind us. And I was so happy to hear that Ian Smiley was speaking tonight at, uh, at the university um, here. And Ian Smiley happens to be our ex-executive director of QSO VSO. Ian, when, when did you serve with QSO VSO? I went uh, as a CUSO volunteer to Sierra Leone in 1967. Oh, so first you went as a volunteer. I went as a volunteer. And then um, I was uh, asked if I would be interested in going to work as a field staff officer in Nigeria. So I did that for three years. And then I worked for a year in the Ottawa office as um, deputy manager of overseas operations. And then I left CUSO and um, did a number of things. I, I, I worked for CARE in Bangladesh, and then I um, started a new Canadian NGO called Interparents. And in 1979, I went back to CUSO as executive director. So I was executive director from 79 to 83. Ah, and then did you continue your relationship or did you go on to do other things in international development? No, I went on to do other things. Tell us about those other things. Well, I wanted to um, write the great Canadian novel, but before I could write the great Canadian novel, I had to learn how to write. Oh. <laughs> I could write a pretty mean memo, but um, it's another thing to Keep write. Keep it to one page. <laughs> it's another thing to write a book. And I, I had to get CUSO out of my system first, so before I wrote the great Canadian novel, I wrote a history of CUSO. The land. It was called the land. It was called the land of lost content. Oh, you have totally puzzled me with that. That. Well, uh, some people. Title. Some people think it's the land of lost content. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, what did you mean and by somebody, the title? And, and somebody said, um, he liked the book, but he he didn't understand what it had to do with Atlantis. <laughs> Why did you give it that title? I've always wondered. You know, the publisher made a mistake uh, and dr dropped the first page. The first page of the book fell on the floor, and the quote that I was using was lost, so, so nobody quite got it, unless they remembered the Houseman poem, um, which is uh, a Shropshire lad. It's a, it's a, a long poem uh, written in the early 1800s, and it's about... Um, I forget how it goes. This is the land of lost content. I, I see it shining plain. In other words, he's, he's remembering. He's remembering his youth in rural Shropshire. And when he goes back, he discovers that it isn't the way he remembered it. Oh. But it hasn't changed. He's changed. Okay. And so the land of lost content was Canada. When people came home, they were no longer satisfied. Uh, you know, they were, we're all very self-satisfied. Uh, you know, we're developed, we don't have any problems, we're wealthy and all the rest of it. When you go overseas and have a, a, a development experience, you come home, you look at Canada in a completely different, completely different way. You sure do. I've, I've got a copy of that book. That's, I've written all over it because I was highlighting in preparation for our 50th anniversary all these significant names of people, and you remembered many people in that book. It was well, I wrote it, it, I think it was published in about 82, 1982 or 81. Oh, no, 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 I think it was published in 85, but 1985. And a lot of the original founders of QSO were still alive. Um, 
a lot of the founders were university people. They were they were not kids. It was young people who who took the ball and ran with it. So the people who actually ran CUSO in the early days were all in their twenties. I mean, the average age of the staff, I'd say, was probably 24, 25 in the 60s. But I was able to interview a lot of the university people who helped to get it off the ground, and people like uh, Louis Perenbaum, Francis Leddy. There were some people out here in, in British Columbia that were very instrumental. And of course, the early the early volunteers. One of the first volunteers, Steve Wilcom, yes. was a volunteer in the first group that went to India in 1961. He went overseas with CUSO last year. Yes, he did. Yes, he'd had a second round. He had a second round. People have had more than one round. Yeah. I call them repeat offenders. <laughs> well, imagine there's there's a 50-year gap between his first and his second assignment. That's a story. That yeah. really is. So you continued on in the world of development. I know people from AKDN think of you highly. There are many organizations that have worked that you've worked with. Can you name some of them? Oh, I've worked with uh, certainly a lot of the sort of well-known uh, brand name NGOs like uh, CARE, uh, Plan, World Vision, um, Oxfam. I've worked with a lot of the bilateral agencies, CEDA, that did a lot of work over the years with CEDA and uh, DFID, uh, with UN, UNDP. Um, the, whole, the whole range, but also some smaller organizations they're not so well known. AMREF, uh, I think AMREF is fairly well known. It started as the Flying Doctors in Kenya. Oh, okay. Um, I did some work with them in Kenya. Uh, and then I've done a lot of work with the Aga Khan uh, network, uh, a variety of projects in East Africa, uh, Zanzibar, Tanzania, Kenya, and uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh. So Ian Smiley today is going to be talking, what's the main subject of your discussion? He's going to look it up. I'm going to look it Stone up. Stone and blood, something I like saw, that. <laughs> I what saw the advertisement, they gave me the advertisement yeah. outside. Blood on the stone, sorry. There's two, two things, poverty, the urge to help, and the meaning of sustainable development, that's one. Yes. And then I'm talking about diamonds, blood on the stone, greed, corruption, and war, and the global diamond trade. Tell me about that global diamond trade. Well, I told you that I began as a CUSO volunteer in Sierra Leone, and I was posted to Koidu, which is the heart of the diamond area. Um, it was uh, really like the Klondike. It was absolutely crazy. There were thousands of illicit diamond diggers everywhere. Uh, there were uh, um, Lebanese diamond buyers, mafia-type mafia, mafia -type people. It was just a, a crazy time and, and place. After I left, I didn't think very much about diamonds. But in the 1990s, a war began in Sierra Leone. And it got worse and worse and worse. It was a terrible war. It wasn't a civil war. It was what they call a rebel war. These rebels were trying to overthrow the government. And I was, there was a group of us, we were raising funds for emergency assistance and that kind of thing. And one of the Sierra Leoneans in the group said, you know, this is about diamonds. And until the diamonds, until somebody does something about the diamonds, this thing will never end. Well, my time is my own. I, I write. Uh, I can think. Um, I thought, why don't we? Why don't I put together a team and look into this and see if it's true? We did. We got 
uh, we, we did this under the auspices of a small Canadian NGO called Partnership Africa Canada. We got funding from 15 other Canadian NGOs, each one of them gave us $2,000 each. And we did spent about six months looking into this and what we found was incredible. I mean, the it was about diamonds. I mean, the, the corruption and the violence and the, and the, uh, uh, the money laundering and the drugs and the gun running and everything. It was just absolutely stunning. And you had a diamond industry which is based on selling engagement rings which are all about love and, 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 and yet this horrible business was going on and it wasn't only in Sierra Leone, it was also in the Congo and Angola. We focused at first on Sierra Leone and we certainly got the attention of the industry when our report came out. They certainly stood to attention. Uh, they didn't like it at all but they realized that um, this was not going to go away on its own accord and one thing led to another. Uh, the government of South Africa called a meeting to bring interested parties together to talk about this. You know, can we do something to fix this? So the industry, De Beers and all the big companies and a lot of African governments came. Canada was there, Russia and others. And one thing led to another, a lot of negotiations, but we created uh, an international regulatory system for rough diamonds. It's not working very well. In fact, it's working very badly right now. Um, so there's a lot more to say about it and a lot more to be done, but that's how I got into it. And, and it all started with my CUSO experience. So, all these years later, 50 years later, 15,000 volunteers overseas, over, over 35 million hours of service, um, you are part of our history and um, reflecting back at this with this organization. Do you have anything to say about where were we then and where are we now? I know a lot of return volunteers scratch their heads and say, what, we're patting ourselves on the back for being doing what we're doing for 50 years. I wish we had been out of the business. Well, of course, we always thought that we would be doing ourselves out of a job. Yeah. I never thought when I went overseas with CUSO that I would be going into a career in international development. That was accidental. There was no such thing really in those days. Uh, we thought, you know, the kind of development, we had a very limited idea of what development was. So, you know, schools were opening, roads were being built, clinics were opening. We thought there certainly wouldn't be any need for us in a country like Sierra Leone after five or ten years that were graduating their own people. It didn't occur to us that the government was falling to pieces, that there would be coups, that there would be a civil war. It didn't occur to them either. I mean, I've talked to Sierra Leoneans that I knew them, uh, or my contemporaries now, who I mean, people just could not see it coming. And, and no matter how bad it got, people didn't think it would get worse. They thought, we've turned a corner, and they didn't. It just kept getting worse. Sierra Leone isn't typical, but a lot of countries have been through the ringer like that. And, uh, you know, some of them are starting to come out the other end. Things are things are improving. Sierra Leone, you know, has got a better government today than probably at any time in its in its, in, in its previous history. So uh, things do change. What did we think we were going to accomplish? I don't know. You know, President Kennedy, uh, about a year after the Peace Corps had been founded. 
he said, how many Peace Corps volunteers have we got out there? And somebody said, well, I think we've got 200 Peace Corps in Kenya, which is you know, a lot, yeah. a hell of a lot. Uh, CUSO never had 200 people in, anyway. a, in any country. Yeah. And Kennedy said, 200 Peace Corps in Kenya, he said, that's nice. But 2,000 Peace Corps in Kenya, that would be development. Would it? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I think he looked at my face and... Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, there were some people thought that that's what it took, you know, a whole lot of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed people to go off and teach and teach and teach and then everybody would get it right and it would all be over. Development isn't that easy. We contributed. And young people are still going and contributing. And middle-aged people and old people. Yes. But we also knew... Uh, this is something that CUSO knew right from the beginning. The motto of CUSO, which I think has been lost, but the motto was to serve and learn. Yes. It wasn't about serving only, it was about learning. It was this bridge back yes. and forth. Yes, and you know, there isn't, there isn't anybody who's been a volunteer who doesn't say that they got more out of it than they gave. That's not to say they didn't give much. Some gave a lot, uh, some accomplished a lot. But, you know, I mean, there's only so much, there's only so many hours in a day, and no matter what you're doing, whether you're teaching at this university or teaching at a, at a school in, in Africa, you've only got 24 hours in the day, and, you know, it's, there are limits, and the kind of development challenges that Africa and other poor countries faced were much bigger than we understood. We just didn't understand how big they were, and I, I think we still don't actually know how big those challenges are. And the challenges in some ways are bigger now than they were 25 years ago, because so many bad things have happened, and you can't change that. So I, I remember this African proverb, so when's the best time to plant a tree in Smiley? I think it's yesterday. 50 years ago. <laughs> and when's the next time to plant the best time? Today. And you were there then, and you would continue to be there today. And I'm sure there are many seeds that uh, that you planted along the way, and one of them was CUSO and all its volunteers. They all remember you, and it's been an honor and pleasure meeting you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. All right.